1: and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
2: Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you Einstein said he could never understand it all Planets spin through space Smile Sliding down I'll be down try not to try too hard it's just a
3: welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor this hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain now here's your host Jay Taylor
4: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and thanks for telling your friends as well. Our show is rising in popularity month to month, making this the most popular show by far on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially viable. For the first hour of this show, our sponsors are Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold. Palangio Exploration, Tara Minerals, PMI Resources, Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures. This week we have a jam-packed schedule, so we are going to jump right into the program. Our featured guest is Congressman Ron Paul, whose popularity among Americans has been surging to the point where a recent Rasmussen poll has him even with Obama in popularity. No other Republican has come close to Ron's popularity Ron will be with us at 3.30 Eastern Time. Uh, Then at around 4 o'clock Eastern Time, immediately following Ron Paul, I will be speaking with market analyst Bob Hoy, who will more than likely have some very interesting things to say about the ascension of Ron Paul's popularity. And unless Bob has changed his views dramatically from what it was just a few days ago, I expect Mr. Hoy will provide you with reasons to believe gold and gold shares have a lot, lot further to run on the upside we have, a, we have two gold mining sponsors uh, on the show today. In just a minute or two, we're going to talk to Alan Carter. He's the president and CEO of Magellan Minerals. He'll explain how he is uh, setting out to uh, outline a major gold deposit in Brazil, making some great progress in that regard then. During the last 15 minutes of today's show, I will be talking to Andrew Smith. He's the president and CEO of Canico Resources. He's going to tell us how he's doing the same thing with a very exciting new gold discovery in Tanzania. Today's program is so jam-packed with guests that I won't have time to talk to my usual enlightening partners, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin. I do expect they'll be back with me next week, however. So let's get right to it. Alan Carter, Ron Paul, Bob Hoy and Andrew Smith all coming up over the next two hours. You can't afford to miss them. I'll be right back.
5: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
1: Marex Gold. With 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Marex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the Advanced Stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X Gold.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: A human race Some kind of lovely ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard It's just a lovely ride
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I have with me Alan Carter. He is the CEO of Magellan Minerals. It's a gold mine exploration company with properties in Brazil. Magellan Minerals is a sponsor of this show, and I want to thank Alan and the company for helping us make this show economically viable to each of you and to give us a chance to bring great guests to you like the one that's going to follow this this segment namely a uh, congressman ron paul magellan is traded on the toronto exchange under the symbol m n m that's Mans- mary nancy mary and on the pink sheets under the symbol m a g n f there are 76 million shares outstanding, and the last I checked, uh, this stock was trading around 63 or 64 cents, giving the company a market cap of about $48 million. Welcome, Alan, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you very much, Jay. Well, it's it's good to have you back. We, we spoke some time ago. I know you've done uh, a lot has happened since we last talked. Uh, uh, but I would like you to just sort of update, or for those who have not, Uh, that are not at all familiar with your story if you could just go back and talk about your two main properties you have the kui kui or the kui kui uh, you can correct me on the pronunciation and the koringa project if you could just give us an overview of those two projects
6: and uh, let our listeners know something about about them yeah. Okay, Jay. Um, Magellan is a uh, gold exploration development company. We're focused on northern Brazil, in a part of Brazil called the Tapajos region. Um, the Tapajos is a um, is the site of the world's largest ever gold rush um, between about 1978 and 1995. there's an estimated 20 to 30 million ounces of gold here been. Uh, mine from the streams and essentially um, our objective is to find uh, th- there are probably multiple sources for that gold almost certainly and, uh, and we're, looking for, um, we're looking for those sources. So as you mentioned we have two advanced projects, um, one is called Kuyu Kuyu and the other one is called Karinga. Um, Kuyu um, is an area of about 470 square kilometers. It's actually more a district rather than a, a project. Um, we've done quite a lot of sampling, soil sampling here. And the reason that we focused in on Kuyukuyu is because it was um, the streams in this uh, area produced an estimated 2 million ounces of gold and nobody has done any systematic follow-up work looking for the source of that gold. Hmm. So we've done a relatively extensive soil sampling survey, about seven and a half to 8,000 soil samples. And uh, so far, we've drilled 56 holes. Now, as a result of that soil sampling, um, we've come up with an anomaly which is um, very, very large. It's, it's a gold anomaly in the soil, which is about 12 kilometers long, so mm. about uh, between 7 and 8 miles in length, which makes it a very, very large anomaly. It's very, very unusual. Mm. Um, and so Thus far, we've drilled uh, 56 uh, holes into that anomaly at various locations and we've made two discoveries so far hmm. and um, uh, currently um, we are drilling there with two drill rigs uh, in, two, in, in two separate parts of that anomaly and um, the objective of the drilling really is twofold um, the first uh, objective is to define resources on both those areas and, um, and the second objective is actually to test some of the other areas within that 12 kilometer long zone so uh, so we have a lot of drill results coming this this this, uh, this year. And towards the end of the year, we expect to uh, announce, be in a position to announce a, um, a resource estimate on both of those zones. So it's going to be very quite
4: exciting for us on kuyu Very interesting, Alan. Well, what sort of grades are you getting, and is this an open pit target then?
6: Yeah, these are all open pit uh, targets, Jay. Uh, what we suspect is that within that 12-kilometer-long uh, anomaly, Um, There are probably, um, what appears so far, and it is still at a relatively early stage, but we have um, economic drill intercepts in several areas there. As I said, we've focused in on two. Um, Some of the grades that we've been getting on the first discovery that we made a couple of years ago is called Central. And the Central area, we have a number of drill holes there so far. All this data is on our website, by the way, Mm MagellanMinerals.com. so far the best hole that we've drilled at central would be 220 meters at 2 grams and that's pretty much from surface so uh, that would be an open pit area and, and as I said we've been getting you know 100, 200 meter intercepts so if you convert that to feet you're looking at you know 350 to 700 foot intercepts so of long low-grade inter- uh, mineralization which would be amenable to open pit. The discovery um, that we made um, more recently, which was earlier this year, was, is five kilometers to the southwest, and, and we call that Morera gomez And um, that's um, that's very interesting. So far we've drilled a zone which is um, 700 meters, so um, getting on for half a mile in length. Uh, it is still open on both ends, and the best drill result that we've got from that so far was uh, 17 meters at uh, 13 Thirteen point seven grams. Mm. So we are getting some very significant drill results in, in in both those areas. And as I said, there are some other excellent targets within that larger anomaly that uh, that we will be testing this year.
4: Wow. So you've got two discoveries already, two potentially two open pit open pitable yeah. deposits. That remains to be seen whether the economics are there. But uh, what about the the material, Alan? Have you done any work metallurgical work at all, or is it too early for that at this stage?
6: Um, we haven't done any any uh, significant metallurgical work. Uh, we do know that the style of the mineralization we've got is very similar to a discovery that we were involved in um, a few years ago, which is 25 kilometers away. That's the Tockenton-Zinnia discovery, um, and that currently has a resource on it of 2.3 million ounces. Uh, we were instrumental in identifying that. Uh, it's not part currently one of Magellan's assets, but... Um, the style of mineralization is very similar, and the recoveries that they've been getting have been in excess of uh, 95%. So we expect on the, on, on the basis of um, what we're seeing at, at Kuyu-Kuyu for the recoveries to be very similar, so we're quite optimistic. Mm.
4: So really you've, you've made two discoveries, and you have a lot more to look at there, I guess, if you've got a 12-kilometer-long strike length.
6: Yeah, I mean, it, it truly is a, a very large... Anomaly, and uh, as many of your listeners may be aware, we have um, both Newmont Mining and Kinross Gold as significant shareholders in the company. So, mm. obviously, uh, Newmont and and Kinross are hoping that we have something, you know, that could be significantly, you know, potentially world class.
4: Sure, Alan, how soon do you expect you'll have a resource number, um, a forty-three one hundred one resource number, on either of those two first discoveries?
6: Well, we're still drilling, uh, Jay. So. Um, uh, most of the drilling on, on just those two areas should be complete within the next couple of months. And then, of course, we've got some work to do in putting that together. Um, we expect uh, during the fourth quarter that we should have a resource on both of those two areas. And as I said, there will be a stream of other results coming out on other targets that we intend to test uh, on, the, on that particular project.
4: Very exciting. Do, the, uh, do these deposits, uh, are they open at depth? Are
6: they... Yeah, they are all open at depth. The, the rocks that we're working, uh, w- that we're dr- drilling, Jay, they're they're, they're a Proterozoic age. And what that means is they're quite old rocks. They're uh, mm-hmm. they're 1.8 billion years old. Um, mm-hmm. So deposits that are that age do frequently they, they tend to be open to significant depth, and we have no idea how how, how deep these things go. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're focused, of course, on, on the open pit potential. So we're drilling down to you know potentially open pit depths, 250 meters. Uh, beyond okay. that. We don't have any idea, but the, 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 currently they look like they, they're likely to be open at depth.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Great. Well, I guess, obviously, the open pitable targets are first and then and, and try to figure out if there's some economics there. And it, it there certainly does sound good, uh, what you're telling me so far. Well, that's the Kuyu-Kuyu. The what about your other project, the second project, Karinga I think you... Maybe you've just uh, recently released a, um, a preliminary economic study there, or do you know something already about the economics of that project? Could you just give our listeners a, an overview of that one?
6: Yeah, sure, Jay. Um, is very different. It's a similar gold project 100 kilometers to the south. Um, what we're looking at at Coringa is a very high-grade vein system. And this was mined, um, you know, 20 to 30 years ago on a very small scale by the local miners. It's quite unusual in that normally the local miners would mine the stream type material, but in this case, this uh, vein was so high grade that um, some of the w- old workings on this on this structure go down 50, 60, and in one part of it, 70 meters depth. And the reason that they've gone so deep and um, is is that it is. It's such high grade. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody drilled the project uh, prior to to us getting involved in it, so we were Mm -hmm. the first folks to start drilling on this project. And, And the drilling that we've done, and we've drilled about 85 holes so far, has confirmed that large parts of this vein system are very high grade. And, uh, as you mentioned we 've just put out uh, our preliminary economic assessment um, on on the project that was done by an independent consulting group out of denver mm-hmm. and that confirms that the um, the project economics look quite compelling. Um, The the internal rate of return for this project, assuming a $950 gold price, is uh, 34%, which gives Mm -hmm. it a net present value, assuming a 5% discount rate, of about uh, $41 million. If you you push that and you assume a gold price which is closer to the current gold price of uh, $1,200 an ounce, you're looking at a a net present value of about $82 million. Mm. So, um, you know... That, those kind of numbers, having internal rates of return up into, up into the 30s, is, is, um, compares very well with uh, similar sort of projects uh, uh, at this stage. So um, we are currently drilling here as well. Um, this project has a current resource on it of about 370,000 ounces at the two-gram mm-hmm. cutoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we expect to expand that with the current drill program. And um, the recommendation that we've received as part of this um, 43-101 uh, compliant report is that we now advance straight to feasibility. So we expect to make a decision on going f- moving forward with the feasibility study um, this quarter in the second any quarter sense, of 2010.
4: Alan, any sense of what the capital cost might be there for that project?
6: Yeah, the CapEx is estimated, the initial CapEx uh, is estimated about $26 million, Jay. So this isn't... Mm-hmm. This isn't a project that's going to require hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Um, right. It has relatively low cap- capex. It is, um, what we're looking at here is an underground mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And that would be, initially, it would be a 400 ton a day operation. So relatively small operation. But as I said, the grade is very good. Yeah. Now, um, a couple of other things about this project. The main vein so far that we've mapped it for seven kilometers long, which is about uh, four and a half miles so again that is quite unusual to find a, a mineralized vein system extending mm. that far. The really interesting thing for us is that the um, the streams immediately to the north or for some considerable distance about two two and a half miles to the north of the most uh, northerly exposure of the vein system the streams are all carrying gold mm. um, so we expect to extend the, the vein system significantly to the north and um, and we are seeing evidence of a number of parallel structures here. So wow. um, we're quite optimistic that the um, the overall strike length and the size of the mineralized system is actually going to keep growing. And so wow. far, we've only drilled it to shallow depths. I think the maximum uh, depths that we've drilled this are about 150 meters deep, which for as you know, you know for an underground uh, yeah. type scenario is is pretty shallow, really. Yeah,
4: indeed, the, you don't have that those high costs of having to go deep under the under the earth to get to the to the sweet stuff. That really sounds good, Alan. But this leads me to a question. You uh, your background is mostly exploration. Do you see uh, Magellan becoming a producer then on on the second project?
6: yeah i think we do jay this is um the the, the economics for this thing are quite compelling um, it will you, you know um, it 's not often that you see projects at this stage of the game um, at the uh, scoping study stage which which is what we we are at here with mm-hmm. the, the p a um, with these kind of uh, projected internal rates of return um, so that uh, and the capital costs aren 't um,
4: mm-hmm. aren 't terribly you know, prohibitive
6: no that 's right so uh, we we are likely going to advance through. And, of course, we'll have to see what the feasibility study says. Sure. One thing that your listeners should bear in mind, and that probably many of them will be aware of, is that um, uh, the contingencies that have been included, i.e. the contingency costs. So um, um, those are the contingencies on the operating costs and the capital costs for the operation. Uh, are um, in the order of 15% on the operating costs and 20% on the capital costs. Mm-hmm. So that means that we've been quite conservative in the um, with, in the costing of the project. So mm-hmm. uh, when you, um, as we advance, I expect those uh, contingencies to drop as part of the, the, the feasibility study. So the, the project economics areas are likely to improve significantly from Okay, that. so Pretty very compelling.
4: Okay, so is the the, the policy perhaps or the. Uh, the target here is to get into production, uh, produce some cash flows from this high-grade, lower, smaller outfit uh, to finance what might be a, a much bigger uh, the target at the Kui Kui. Is that the part? And then uh, that's one question. And secondly, then, if, if that's the case and if you outline something that's really, really huge, would you look for a major to come in perhaps and develop the Kui Kui like a Newmont or a Kinross or somebody like that?
6: Yeah I mean, the answer to the first question is, is, is yes, Jay. Um, essentially, what Magellan offers um, an investor is uh, exposure to two projects which have different profiles, mm-hmm. uh, one being Kuyu Kuyu, which uh, is a world-class anomaly, and, and we have multiple all-grade intercepts at several points within that very large anomaly. As I said, it's between seven and eight miles long.) Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be a there, – there, we think that there may – there is a very good chance that there's a world-class oil body here. Coringa mm-hmm. is more advanced, but it is a smaller project. Um, mm-hmm. But as I, as I explained, there is a lot of good upside there, and this thing mm-hmm. is very good, a very good grade and has very compelling project economics. Now, but you're right in that um, we are fast-tracking Coringa um, mm-hmm. through into feasibility. We're likely to uh, – as I said, we intend to make the uh, feasibility decision – this quarter. Um, and then uh, the feasibility study is likely to take us another six, nine months. Um, and then we'll have a definitive decision. Obviously, we we're then looking at project financing. Kuyu-Kuyu would be a very large, uh, much larger project, and the capital cost here would be, is likely to be well in excess of $100, uh, of $100 million, probably right. more likely 150 to $250 million in that kind right. of range. So there really is merit to having you know, cash flow from a high-grade operation um, with very good grade, um, and very compelling project economics that would assist us with uh, financing and and developing Kuyu. Sure. Uh,
4: Alan, you raised over $21 million, I believe, last December. Um, How much do you still have in the till, and how far will that take you in your exploration of these two
6: prospects? Yeah, good question. Well, of the $21 million that was raised in December, um, 40% of that, so about $8.5 million, was actually escrowed contingent on an acquisition that we were looking at um, completing. Um, the, we did some drilling as part of the due diligence on that acquisition which indicated it wasn't quite what we thought it was so uh, we returned that money to the investors so in actual fact we took about uh, $12.5 million in in December mm-hmm. uh, we still have in the order of about $10, dollars uh, left and uh, as I said we're currently aggressively drilling with two rigs on kuyu and one rig on Koringa. Um so there will be a, a steady stream of draw results this year. Um, we expect that the current relatively aggressive uh, rate um, that that money um, would fund all our activities through to the end of two thousand and
8: eleven mm-hmm.
6: um, so we're in pretty, pretty good shape so You're in pre- I, yeah you know i think, I think your listeners should expect um, to, to see uh, a, a lot of drill results coming out this year a, uh, a resource estimate on two areas at kuyu kuyu um, the scoping study is done uh, probably uh, feasibility would be uh, is going to be likely uh, late two thousand and ten Early two thousand and eleven, we expect mm-hmm. the results on the feasibility of Coringa, so it's going to be quite an exciting time for us
4: well, and, and hopefully uh, the good results, uh, the resource numbers and so forth will will bolster your share price so that when you have to think down the road about raising capital, it'll be easier to do it to to get your Coringa project into production. Where do you think, Alan, uh, the biggest risk lies for shareholders right now in your company
6: um, that's a good question, Jay. I, I, I think the, the the largest risk is is on the uh, is, a, is technical risk on, on based on on the drill results. I think that risk is much lower and is and, it, and is offset. Uh, there is higher risk, obviously, at Cuu Cuu. We are going to be drilling a number of targets there um, that we've not tested previously, and there's there's real risk in that. Um, uh, the upside, however, is is significant, and I think the. Um, the When you look at the drilling that we've done so far, and we've only done 56 holes, and you look at the number of holes that have intersected very good grade mineralization over long intervals versus those that have not, it's a very good hit rate. Um, And I think that that technical risk at at, Kuyu is largely offset by... Uh, the more advanced project uh, at Coringa where we have, you know, 73% of the current resource is measured and indicated. It is an inferred resource. It's actually measured and indicated, which of course uh, lowers the risk somewhat. So, um, I think, yeah, you know, I think most of the risk, or, or the biggest risk so far, at least, is, is, is technical. Jay.
4: Okay. And is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we uh, before we say goodbye?
6: No, I, I mean, I, I think in summary, I mean, uh, Magellan is a company um, that is uh, focused on a part of the world which really has uh, truly exceptional potential uh, with an awful lot, as I said, up to 30 million ounces of alluvial gold. We've got two advanced projects with different profiles, one um, which is advancing rapidly towards development and another one which is very large and has a whole series of all-grade intercepts. So, you know, lots of drill results coming. And... and um, I think um, the fact that Newmont and Kinross are both shareholders in the company also actually um, tells your listeners uh, that um, we have some very good uh, we have some very good support. So, absolutely,
4: I, no question about that. Uh, Alan, I want to thank you uh, once again. Your website, so people can follow your progress, is
6: it's Magellanminerals, uh, dot com, so Magellanminerals.com. So, m-a-g-e-l-l-a-n minerals.com.
4: Excellent. Thank you very much, Alan. We'll look to have you back again sometime in the not too distant future, hopefully. That's all the time we have now, folks. But don't go away because coming up next is Ron Paul, an honest politician, you bet. His stardom is on the rise, rivaling that now of President Obama. Don't go away, and I'll be right back with Ron Paul.
9: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website
1: to learn more. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Markerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love ride. How these slides...
3: taylor at gmail.com sign up for jay's newsletter jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program
4: welcome back to turning hard times into good times i am your host jay taylor i'm honored to have congressman ron paul with me today a few years ago dr paul may have needed an introduction but now following his candidacy for the presidency. Ron needs no introduction. He is perhaps one of the top two or three well-known legislators on Capitol Hill. His run for the presidency certainly catapulted him into prominence in the hearts and minds of a growing number of Americans, but his legislative initiative to audit the Fed really made him popular with the people following the post-September 2008 bailout of powerful Wall Street interests. Ron Paul has been a hero of mine for many years because of his steadfast insistence that the framers of the Constitution meant what they said when they said, money shall be comprised of gold and silver, and that Congress must declare war before American troops are sent into harm's way. So it is a distinct honor to have with me Congressman Paul. Welcome again, Congressman Paul, to Turning Hard Times into Good
10: Times. Thank you, Jay. Good to be with you today.
4: Well, it's it's really super to have you, and I want to thank you. You were with us about a year ago or so when we launched this program and in and, and no uh, small measure the success of our program has been uh, at least partly uh, thanks to you. I'd like to begin by talking about economic bubbles. It seems to me that the word bubbles used to refer to unsustainable economic growth, but that's become much more prominent now than it was as recently as the 1970s and 1980s. We didn't hear the word bubbles. We didn't hear the, the economy uh, being referred to as a bubble economy. Do you recall a time? Do you recall that, that a time when we didn't refer constantly to the economy as a bubble economy?
10: No, we're just certainly doing that a lot more, although bubbles have been around. And I think where the confusion comes is uh, people think that economic growth represents a bubble, and that's not necessarily so. Mm-hmm. So it's it's rather a silly type of economics that says that when you have economic growth, that the, that the solution for it is to cut, you know, uh, to have slower growth, purposely raise interest rates and slow the growth, and that means that kind of a bubble uh, is different than just economic growth. And the, what I think of as bubbles are, is the malinvestment, the overinvestment, too much debt into the system when the Federal Reserve artificially pumps up the money supply and gives lower than market interest rates, and then you have a bubble economy, and certainly the best example of that would be the the housing bubble. But the bubble's been around for a long time, but I'd agree they've certainly been talking about it a lot more recently because of the dramatic effect of the NASDAQ bubble and the housing bubble.
4: Well, certainly when we talk bubbles, we're talking about unstable, unsustainable economic and. Uh, economic environment. Is that right? So that that when you, is absolutely right. So, so your malinvestment idea, an Austrian economic idea, that when you shovel huge amounts of money into the economy, it doesn't get allocated efficiently in a very efficient manner. And we saw that certainly with the dot-com bubble, the telecom bubbles, uh, then uh, more recently the housing bubble. Um, well, the thing is that these bubbles seem to be something that Mainstream Wall Street is really sort of expecting to occur now. They're not even expecting them not to occur. So last week on my show, I interviewed Dick Beauvais, a very well-known Wall Street analyst in the financial sector, and he thought that you know, he didn't see any, any danger of, I don't know how he defined a bubble, uh, probably not the same as you, but he doesn't see any, any problem right at the moment in the U.S. economy, but he thinks it's inevitable that we're going to, we're going to head into another bubble sometime in the not-too-distant future. Well, that's
10: what they're hoping for, you know. I think uh, when I when I interview or quiz Bernanke, I've uh, you know more or less. A- them of saying, you're just waiting for another bubble. That's your whole purpose. You want to inflate. You're struggling to do this. But uh, because they've been able to do this so, for so long, I mean, there've been no restraints since 1971, and they've had ups and downs and bubbles, small, re- small recessions and big de- recessions, and now probably a depression. But their only solution is to reinflate, which means to have a new bubble. And uh, it looks like this time, uh, they 're having a great deal of difficulty because you know when the NASdaq bubble collapsed uh, it was no, it was a big event uh, and significant, but they got the housing bubble going and right now though uh, i I think there 's a bubble in in the bond market and I, I think there's you know the people still have a lot of money in the bond market, and there 's a lot of confidence uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the dollar and the bonds but th- that to me is way out of proportion to uh what what it should be because uh, who, who would, who would uh, you know, judge that a 10-year bond is uh, – somebody would buy that to save money for 10 years? If you were saving mm-hmm. money for your kids for school, nobody would, nobody would be buying a bond. So that's all artificial. So that has to be a bubble. But, but the bubbles will eventually end. Fiat money doesn't last. And, and then there will be a, a, a need for and a, and a requirement that we have a new monetary system.
4: You'd have to think buying a 10-year bond would be one of the stupidest things you could do right now because uh, even if you take the government's inflation numbers, uh, you're getting negative returns, are you not?
10: Right. And what kind of interest rates are you getting? Zero, then you lose the purchasing power. I mean, uh, even in this uh, uh, flux, of, I mean, the dollar is not appreciating in value. I mean, if you, I think I saw a figure just recently where prices of food in, from March of last year to March of this year went up 18%. So uh, prices, there's still some price pressure there. So putting your money away and if you didn't have any taxes or any interest or anything, uh, if you put it in a shoebox, you know, everybody, most everybody knows that in 10 years uh, they're not going to have the same purchasing power.
4: Well, you and I would believe that if, if we attached the dollar to, to an asset like gold or silver, that we wouldn't have these kinds of problems. The, the framers of our Constitution were rather clear that money was to be comprised of gold and silver. Why has the use of paper money created out of thin air not been deemed unconstitutional many decades ago when Roosevelt took us off the gold standard? Can't our judges read?
10: Really not. And uh, if, if they do read, they read more into the Constitution than they want. But this has been, even before Roosevelt, this occurred under Lincoln, you know, for the Civil War period, uh, they went off the gold standard, and uh, they were on gold contracts and but the the courts have almost always ruled in favor of central banking and government's abuse of monetary policy uh, rather than the ruling in favor of the constitution and the people and the value of the money so um, this uh, this has been notorious and uh, I think I think it's the pressure on them to defend the state. But by the time people get to the top level in the executive branch, congressional branch, or judicial branch, they all believe in big government, and they don't know how to pay for it other than by printing money. And therefore, they have to maintain uh, maintain that system at the expense of the people. hmm So
4: they're they're voting their own vested interest. They want to be returned to Congress. Is that is that the?
10: Yeah, they. Uh, you know up until now that was you know an automatic you vote uh you vote your uh district you get money into your district you get rewarded and you get returned but now with the anger and resentment of the tea party people they're saying enough is enough we don't believe you anymore it's not sustainable so uh, those kind of promises don't work because uh, we've seen such, uh, he, you know, a disruption in the marketplace. So people have lost confidence in government, and in many ways, that's very healthy because there's no reason for us to place confidence in in government uh, pro- providing for us forever. There's no way that these entitlements can be fulfilled. So, uh, the, but the people are catching on. Uh, well, I think the people understand that governments don't
4: create wealth; people create wealth. Freedom. Free enterprise, hard work, labor, into, uh, intelligence, uh, incentives for people to do that create uh, create wealth. And certainly, our founders understood that um, uh, that we needed to have a sound monetary base. Uh, and they understood that we would that our economy would suffer if that wasn't the case. They also understood that our freedoms would be destroyed. Uh, but not only our founders understood that; none other than Alan Greenspan, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, clearly understood that fiat money would result in the loss of our economic freedom. We know that from an exchange that you had with the former chairman after a House banking meeting sometime back in 2001. As I recall, Greenspan told you uh, in 2001 that he still believed what he wrote in a 1966 article called um, uh, titled Golden Economic Freedom. Essentially, he admitted that without a gold standard, there is no way for individuals to retain ownership of their private property and to retain their economic freedom. Of Course, Greenspan then went, uh, went out and engaged in what I think you and I would both agree was one of the most uh, egregious and destructive acts against average American people in modern history when he pumped huge amounts of money into the economy, creating not one bubble but the two that we just spoke about now. Dick Beauvais, who I interviewed last week, I think hit the nail on the head when he told me that targeting Goldman Sachs, as the president seems to be doing now and, and many in washington uh, that that's really misplaced uh, the the real Culprit, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear Dick say this. The real culprit, according to him, even this mainstream analyst, Dick Beauvais, was that it was the excessive amount of money that was created by during the Greenspan Fed and, and subsequent to him, as well. Do you feel that the anger against Goldman Sachs
10: is misplaced? Partially, and because I want all the, you know, m- most of the direction be at uh, at the Federal Reserve because they create the credit. But the reason I say partly is the Fed exists to take care of their friends, the big banks and companies like Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. So um, for some reason, I think that uh, uh, a lot of this attack on Goldman Sachs won't amount to much. I still Mm -hmm. think they are a favorite of the administration and the favorite of of the central bank, and they'll be taken care of. But I, I think politically speaking, they had to do something because there's been enough written and understood. You know about uh, how how Goldman Sachs had benefit and has escaped it, but uh, no, I uh, I spend most of my time trying to get people to concentrate on the cause of our problem. And to me, it's it's big government financed by a central bank and a central bank that's out of control, can monetize all debt and make all kinds of deals around the world, and not be not even be susceptible to an audit by the Congress. No no oversight whatsoever. So that's why, of course, I've worked hard on trying to get an audit of the Fed, and we're still working pretty hard on that project. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, speaking of that project, uh, there was a vote on the floor. Where, where did that bill go, and did you end up supporting it? It was a bill that you introduced, I believe, and did you end up supporting it, or was it watered down to such an effect? On, on the
10: auditing the Fed? Yes. Um, in, the, in the Financial Services Committee, I offered my bill to have a clean audit of the Federal Reserve and offered it. Uh, to the financial reform bill, which is an atrocious bill. But it was the only thing available to me because Barney Frank wouldn't bring it up to the floor as a clean bill. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have uh, done as well. So when that got put in the banking committee, it was brought to the floor and we did pass it on the House floor. But because most of the bill was terrible, I I ended up actually voting against the bill that had my amendment in it. But the key vote was in the Financial Services Committee when we got it put on the financial reform bill. But as, of, as we speak, they are dealing with this in the Senate, and Barn, uh, Bernie Sanders as well as Jim DeMant is trying to put it in the Senate uh, financial reform package. But once again, if that gets passed, ironically, it will be on a bill that most of us who want the audit won't even be able to support. Hmm. But sometimes things work out that way in, in Washington.
4: Well, I guess they work out that way very often, don't they? Well, the Federal Reserve is a private corporation, is it not?
10: They're they're unique in that they're not a government corporation and they're not susceptible to any audits, but they're not private in the sense that somebody just popped up and created the Fed. The Fed was created uh, by, by Congress and they could uh, undo it. They could take their charter away from them. But they're private in the sense that they're secret and private individuals run it. And we're not a lot to know about it and and the stock is owned by private individuals so it's it's probably unique in in the, all of what we do It's neither a conventional private corporation nor is it a government agency so do
4: we know who owns the stock of the federal reserve?
10: I think you can find that out It's the stockholders of the various members mm-hmm. and uh they uh they are there are lists of those individuals, and they mm-hmm. do get. Uh, paid some dividends. I think the bigger concern that I have is the uh, manipulation of money and credit, and uh, and and to monetize debt and to loan money to banks that uh, nobody knows about. The Fed creating two trillion dollars and 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 loaning this money out, and we're not allowed to know. That's a much bigger deal than the amount of interest that is paying to the people who hold the stock.
4: Mm-hmm. But might the but might not the shareholders also, um, you know, have some influence on what the Fed does and how they spread their money around? And I, and I know you also expressed some concern about the American people ultimately being asked to bail out Greece. Greece is very much in the news now, obviously. Clearly, the bailouts that are being proposed are not, are not working as far as the markets are concerned. But do you see that as, a you know, the ownership of the Fed being a, being a problem in that it, they might have some influence on... on- well, not... Yeah.
10: Not the average owner, if they're a small bank someplace and they have a little bit of stock, I don't think so. But if you go to to the large New York banks and the very big banks, uh yes, I think uh they're very much involved in knowing what the mm-hmm. Fed is going to do. Uh the people in, in, in Greece, you know, I asked Bernanke about this and he uh he said that uh well he he more or less wanted me to believe that they had no interest, no part, and they aren't doing anything and won't do anything. But mm-hmm. it was just a few days later that, uh, you know, the IMF package was announced, and, and uh, they needed more money from us. Uh, the, the IMF mm-hmm. is looking for, a, a, like, $500 billion from us, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we pay 25% of the IMF fi- uh, funding, mm-hmm. so therefore we are bailing out Greece. Sure, indirectly. So, yeah, in, indirectly. And those are the kind of agreements... Uh, that uh, the Federal Reserve can get involved in, even outside of what we know the IMF is doing. Outside of that, the uh, the Fed can have secret agreements with central banks and other foreign governments. They are they are under the law permitted to do this, and the law prohibits an audit of the Fed. Uh, that is the reason that we need to rein them in. Mm-hmm.
4: Absolutely. Well. You have advocated eliminating the Federal Reserve as well in the past and returning, I guess you would like to return to a gold standard, silver standard, some sort of commodity-backed monetary system, but you yourself have acknowledged that we could not immediately eliminate uh, this sort of monetary system that we have. I know you have given considerable thought to this question, so can you tell our listeners how you think we could go about uh, returning to a sound monetary system?
10: Well, the first thing is is we need to know more about it, and that 's why I started with audit and the Fed to find out exactly what what they 're doing so that the people can be behind uh the reform uh, but you could have legislation that would limit the amount of uh of debt they could monetize and restrict them but my my uh real transition uh is by, is done by legalizing competition with the Fed. Mm-hmm. And that that is allow people to use uh, American legal tenders, silver mm-hmm. and gold coins, mm-hmm. you know, at face value and let people get into contracts. Uh, today, if you do that, uh, you could actually uh, get into big trouble with the IRS if you started using anything other than the Federal Reserve notes. Uh, uh, you know, for money. So you and I have a bill and it's a competing currency bill where we repeal the legal tender laws and make gold and silver uh, uh, permissible to be used and take off taxes, no sales taxes or capital gain taxes on gold coins. Otherwise, it wouldn't be money. I mean, they don't mm-hmm. tax Federal Reserve notes, so I don't want to. Right. And So then it could compete. And people who aren't too worried, they can keep using Federal Reserve notes, but if you and I wanted to have an agreement uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and deal in, in gold money, uh, we could do that. And uh, uh, that to me would uh, be an easier way than if you just turned the keys and locked the doors and said the Fed is closed. That would be rather chaotic right now. Mm-hmm. But if we don't do anything, it's going to be very chaotic if you have a currency crisis, which is what I anticipate.
4: Sure. Do you think the taxes then are kept in place in part
10: to keep this competition from occurring? Yeah, probably. I mean, certainly the way the laws are written, the laws are very, very strong. The laws prohibit the use of uh, of legal tender. And that's the strongest because uh, one group a couple of years ago that used silver coins and encouraged people to use it, and they actually called these silver coins dollars, and that's when – you know they were raided, and the millions of dollars of coin, gold and silver coins were taken by the Federal Reserve uh, because they were trying to compete with the Fed.
4: It seems like a most basic human right to be able to one person to another exchange goods and services, but in fact that's what they're prohibiting. You have also been an advocate of repealing the income tax, and when I mention that to my friends, they always ask, "But what would replace it?" So <laughs> I ask you, "What would replace it?"
10: Well, I was asked that in a national debate one time, and I said nothing. <laughs> and I always like to get—I get a pretty good response at uh, at, at our rallies. That uh, I want to respond it with, you know, replace it with nothing. No, what I want to do though is reduce the size and scope of government. Uh, if we got rid of the income tax today, there'd be and, and didn't cut any spending, the deficit would go up. Uh, but I want to cut cut spending and get the government back to the size that it was prior to 1913. I mean, we, we existed for a hundred and some years without an income tax. Uh, what, what makes it uh, mandatory that we continue to do that other than the spending, but that, that gets you to the the real problem. And that is uh, what should the role of government be? Mm-hmm. And the people, the majority of the American people obviously still believe that the role of our government is to police the world and take care of us in a welfare manner from cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if the people maintain that we should be doing that, you're going to have all kinds of taxes. They're talking about a, a sales tax in addition you know, mm-hmm. to, to the income tax. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we're in a period of time where there's a bit of rebellion going on because the people who have to pay are sick and tired of it, and the government isn't very good in fulfilling their promises. So uh, I think we live in very, very interesting times where status quo is being challenged.
4: Well I think that's indeed true. We uh we see the Tea Party movement which which you referred to. I would also like to ask you about a Rasmussen poll that recently came out that I think also suggests that um that people are starting to get fed up with what's going on. This Rasmussen poll I think had I think the question was who would you who would you like to see as the next president of the United States? Um and I think was something like 43% said Obama and 42% said Ron Paul no other republican was in double figures and that that to me was sort of shocking what do you make of that
10: it was sort of shocking to me too <laughs> it was a surprise and, and i guess it will have to be duplicated before anybody really gets too excited about something like that yeah. i think it's uh, i think it's interesting and but i also think that uh, see they were comparing other republicans with obama
8: mm-hmm. if they
10: compare me with other republicans i don't do quite so well I that see. poll showed that I was not doing as well with Republicans as some others were doing, but I was doing much better than the rest of Republicans and the, and Obama with the independents. And even uh, with Democrats, I was able to uh, whittle away at the Democrat vote better than any other Republican, which is shouldn't surprise us because, you know, the concept of liberty has an appeal across the board mm-hmm. uh, because liberals tend to have... A, A Less aggressive foreign policy and a little more protection of civil liberties and conservatives are a bit better on protecting the free market and in the low property right position. So Mm -hmm. uh, it would be natural for you to say, well, yeah, and that's to me what's so exciting about the freedom philosophy. It really does bring people together and it and it appeals to everybody across the board. But it's almost the opposite of being a moderate. A moderate tries to gain access across the board by uh you know being conservative by voting all the military stuff mm. and the aggressiveness and also maybe being tough on civil liberties not uh, protective mm-hmm. of civil liberties and then they would also want to be more liberal by voting for the welfare program so they bring their coalitions together almost opposite of what somebody does if they believe in a freedom philosophy mm mm-hmm.
4: We only have a few more minutes left, and there's so much more, as always, to ask you. Uh, but there is a movement, definitely, the Tea Party movement. Uh, there are a lot of people who are calling themselves Ron Paul Republicans these days who are running for office. I had uh, a person on the show here with me uh, not long ago who's running uh, in the primaries in uh, New Jersey, um, uh, Dave, David Corsi. He's a real estate professional, and uh, you know he's hoping to win out against a a Wall Street Republican. And if he does, I think he has a very, very good chance of becoming, uh, be, uh, being elected to Congress. But he dubs himself a Ron Paul Republican. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's really very interesting, uh, Ron. I can just, you know, I can just remember the time when uh, when hardly anybody knew your name. I remember talking to you in San Francisco and people passed you by and didn't know who you were almost. So uh, I'm really very, very pleased that things are going so well uh, That that I think you have have contributed to a revolution. I think it's a revolution that is natural in, in the hearts and minds of people who want to be free, who want to be creative and productive. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased with, with what I've seen uh, happen since I first met up with you uh, many years ago. Um, let's just see if we have another minute or two. Uh, do you, you've written the book about a book about a revolution. Do you, are you ever concerned about your safety?
10: No, I mean, I I worry uh, about my safety when I get in a car and I watch carefully and try to drive very safely. (laughs) But uh, the rest, uh, I think I'm going to leave that in the hands of uh, somebody else.
4: (laughs) Okay, leave it in the hands of of our creator, perhaps. Right. Um, Well, I appreciate that very much. Uh, Ron, before we leave, can you tell people how they can follow you? Uh, I think it's housegov forward slash Paul. Is that the
10: yeah, that's that's one. But the easiest way to remember to get hold of me is go to ronpaul.org, dot org because mm-hmm. that will list six web pages. I have mm-hmm. congressional web page, educational free foundation, the campaign, and the campaign for liberty, which is mm-hmm. the organization which is outgrowth of the presidential campaign. But ronpaul.org dot org could get you just about anything you need.
4: And probably from there, people can watch any number of YouTube interviews uh, as well uh, that I enjoy from time to time as well. <laughs> Well, thank you, Ron, uh, for taking time to talk with us on turning hard times into good times. Best wishes to you and your family and to your ongoing crusade for a return to the U.S. Constitution. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with Bob Hoy. He's a Canadian market analyst and historian who can help us put this current existing uh, economy in historical perspectives. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Bob Hoy after the commercial
3: break.
9: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
5: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
1: Marex Gold. With 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Marex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. Marex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X Gold. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of pipe. River. With gold prices near an all time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of our weekly show. They are Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, gold-rich Mining Company, and Canico Resources. What well, we just heard from Ron Paul, his message is the same as it's been over the years, we can't go on living beyond our means forever. We have to return to a sound monetary system if we want to have lasting prosperity. Ron Paul has been rising in popularity along with the rising gold price. So the question in my mind is, is ron paul's rising popularity a as a person who favors honest money a reaction to market forces or is ron leading the way to help educate people about the follies of fiat money for a perspective on that question i want to turn now to the always exceptional bob hoy for his very unique but equally accurate understanding of history and the application of history to the future for those of you who are not familiar with Bob, who's been on our show a number of times. He is Chief Investment Strategist with Institutional Advisors in Vancouver. He writes the weekly overview, Pivotal Events. His articles have been published in Barron's, the Financial Post, Financial Times, and National Post. He often is interviewed on radio and television, and as I say, we've had him on a couple of times here before. Welcome again, Bob, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
11: Jay, good to be with you.
4: So good to have you again. Always always fascinating to uh, hear your views. Uh, I don't know of anyone who can take history and uh, and interpret it and, and apply it to the present uh, any better than you do. So it's always a pleasure to have you. Ron Paul's popularity has been on the rise beyond belief. Based on his remarks to me a few minutes ago, I'm not so sure he even believes the Rasmussen poll that has him in a virtual dead heat with President Obama. <laughs> he said he thinks yeah, people dude. will... People will want to see that duplicated a few times before he personally takes it seriously. But I think there is plenty of anecdotal evidence that something big is taking place politically among the populace. Average American people uh, who want to work hard, play by the rules, save their money, and build a better future for their children are getting very, very angry about a rising fascism, socialism, call it what you will, statism of one form or another that is being forced upon them. Applying his understanding of Austrian economics, Ron Paul has predicted decades ago the kind of things that are happening now. He understood, as do all followers of Austrian economic theory, that irresponsible money and credit will lead to tears. So, Bob, let me ask you, do you think uh, there is a natural correlation between Ron Paul's rising popularity and the gold price?
11: Yeah, and it's a couple of steps to get there. In the past, you have a a boom. It's not just the industry, commerce, and the financial markets that get busy. Also, the left on the political system gets busy as well and make tremendous inroads. And then you get a recession, and then those who have pay for the ambitions of the left have to tighten their belt. They take a look at their city uh, government. They take a look at their state or provincial government. They look at the federal government and say, look at I'm tightening my belt, and you're going to tighten yours. Now, this can take a few years, but the, it all hinges on commodity prices. For example, huge commodity boom to 1920, and you then, within this, had the start of the great experiment in communism uh, focused in Eastern Europe, particularly uh, Moscow, and they were trying full hands on communism, and the market broke very hard uh, prices crashed 1920-21, 20, and with that, the experiment then in socialism in the United States came to an end. Railroads that had been nationalized were privatized, that sort of thing. And in uh, communist Russia, the Soviets turned from straight communism to sort of a BS socialism. So, and this can be uh, demonstrated at previous big commodity highs in the past, where you can have. Everything going towards collectivism with the boom, and then you have the juddering halt to that, and then eventually the public enforces its view and starts to bring down the size of government. So, yes, and then also part of this experiment in big government has also been the experiment in currency depreciation. So, it's uh, yeah, it fits uh, that uh, Ron Paul is increasingly being seen as a politician of integrity, I know those two words don't often go together, Mm -hmm. and that they're also seeing that state-run, state-nationalized money is pretty hopeless, too. So you have now the uh, fascinating condition whereby uh, gold is going up in U.S. dollar terms as the U.S. dollar is firming relative to most other currencies, with the exception of the odd day when you will have a maybe a one5 or 2% jump in the U.S. dollar, in which case gold is going to get set back. But as we've seen this week, it didn't happen for too long. So this, yes, it does go together if you go on a roundabout way about it. Mm-hmm. And let's take this a little further, Jay, because mm-hmm. the typical price of gold, and let's face it, uh, we should look at the real price. So uh, because there was in history, like, you know, the 1800s, the... England was then the senior economy and the senior currency, and it was uh, convertible into a fixed amount of gold, so on a gold standard. But the interesting thing is that you still can take a consumer price index and deflate the price, and it tells us a, a fascinating story that in a wild financial mania, the price of all other items are going up relative to gold, so the real price of gold comes down, which it did in our boom into 2007, and then one would expect the price of gold to, in real terms, to head up, which it has been doing. And the big move was with the crash that ended in, uh, in early March, a year ago, the real price of gold, as we calculated it relative to commodities, got down to 143 in May of 2007. Then it turned up as the credit markets turned down. And then it reached a little over 500 in, uh, I think it was February 25th uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And then as it started to turn up, it then signaled the uh, start of the rebound in all the financial markets that began about May, March the 9th. So then more recently here, the real price of gold came down until a couple of weeks ago. 313 was the low, and then as it started up, and, as we've been writing it, it was signaling the end of this uh rebound in the financial market. so there's a lot to be learned from studying uh financial history, which would include the history of stocks, commodities, and interest rates and there's very little to be learned by reading the, the history of economic theories because mm. they're pretty they're not based on a, empirical so I hope to answer the question i think the the interest in integrity in politicians is coming back in. Uh, Ron Paul is at the forefront of this, and the interest in integrity in money is coming back in. So I think the two are together.
4: Right. So would you say then that as a, a system, you have a system-wide insolvency that occurs as a result of the boom, or as a result of uh, socialist socialism uh, and living yeah. beyond your means? And then people start of out of necessity are forced to start to look at things more realistically and more honestly, and and hence you have a return back to honest money?
11: Oh, yeah. It'll happen. It won't happen through an intellectual revolution at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our establishment, you've had uh, interventionist economics has prevailed. It is, uh, originally came out of academic world. Mm -hmm. then into uh, public policy world, and then eventually into Wall Street, where you then had the so-called New York market, the bastion of capitalism, reliant every week and and every month upon what the utterances would be from uh, a number of economists at the Federal Reserve. I mean, these guys are central planners, and you've got the bastion of, of capitalism, Relying on a bunch of central planners and what they think the interest rates are going to go and this sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I would say sorry, Jane. I would say that the the concept of interventionist economics is not uh, new. It's been around. uh, Well, one can say it since Roman times, but definitely since the 1600s when the central bank uh, was formed in England and the uh it just gets hugely ambitious but it is extremely corrupt the notion that uh one person say a philosopher king or a committee of philosopher kings can manage the economy so this is where this recent decline in the stock markets is a very significant one because i mean just two weeks ago they were talking about goldilocks again mm-hmm. but this this particular rebound in the stock market for the last year has been tied with the ambition of the state to get the stimulus in and make all this work so this is really important as the uh, the stock market rolls over it's beginning to vote against all of the stimulus and all that
7: mm-hmm. sort of stuff so mm-hmm.
11: i think that uh the public is recognizing corruption in politics. The public is recognizing corruption in money. And uh, then we got the theories behind that. So we're in exciting times. I think we're, the U.S. and Canada are in the equivalent now to, say, 1988 89. You had an important high for commodity prices in 1988. You had great dissatisfaction in Eastern Europe between what the governing classes were promising and what the the ordinary person was getting, and they took on one of the most uh, evil police states in history, and they really trimmed it back, and uh, there was no bloodshed. And here in in uh, Canada and the United States, and to some degree in England, you have the same ambitions, and particularly with President Obama, to really, really control every facet of life, and the public are not having it, so they. I think that you were looking at here now is the equivalent of bringing down the Berlin Wall only within the United States. It's fascinating politics.
4: Well, that is a very hopeful sign, a very hopeful word, Bob. I, I, I must say, compared to many of my gloom and doom friends. But you know, it sort of matches what Richard Mayberry, who's been a guest on this show, has said in his newsletter that, in fact, many revolutions that have taken place in the past, maybe the majority of them. It's simply a matter of the status quo abducting the, ab, uh, leaving their, their positions out of fear of the populace. Do you think there could be oh, so much anger? Point. I mean, we're seeing an awful lot of angst uh, yeah. uh, you know, against Goldman Sachs, against I think it's still to come against the government, and I think we're starting yeah. to see it with Ron Paul's rising popularity, but that's a, uh, you paint a very hopeful sign, actually.
11: Well, the Tea Party movement is genuine. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a uh, bottom-up. It up. is real people. Mm-hmm. And they've had enough with all of the nonsense going out there. And I here's a here's an image for you: you got Obama at the top, trying to build in the United States the equivalent of the Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. and just uh, you know 100 feet behind him, you've got the Tea Partiers trying to it's starting to di- dismantle the the equivalent of the Berlin Wall.
7: Mm-hmm. So
11: I look at it as a as a bright side that unfortunately the movement will become even more forceful as the next wave of the contraction comes in and the job picture doesn't get any better unless you're working for government. Mm-hmm. So it, unfortunately, it is the contraction
7: mm-hmm.
11: that prompts the movement to reform government. And here's one that I'm hoping someday soon to run into a political scientist and say, look at now, we've got these terms, revolution." rebellion, uprising, and we all sort of have an image of what that means. Mm -hmm. But tell me, Mr. (laughs) Mr., uh, Political Theorist, what do you call a movement whereby it's popular uprising insisting that the government abide by its own constitution? That would be an interesting one for your liberal left Mm. theoreticians to work on. Well, that certainly is, and and,
4: and that brings back uh, a couple of points you just made. Ron Paul's the movement for Ron Paul, is a grassroots movement, and Ron Paul is the politician who's out there saying, I believe that the framers of the Constitution believed what they said, that we're supposed to have gold and silver as money, that we're supposed to vote, that Congress is supposed to declare war before we send our boys into harm's way, all those things. And, and yeah. clearly the ruling elite have, have ignored those. Bob, I want to go back to this issue of where we are in the markets now, yeah. I take it from your comments that you just made that you think that we that we are in a secular bear market still, and what we've seen since March of last year of 2009 was really a cyclical bull within the secular bear?
11: Yeah, a big rebound. Now, it went on for about four months longer than we thought, and maybe 10 percentage points bigger than we thought. But, hey, it did become uh, very overbought. The, correct, uh, the correction in January was important, and then our February 4th edition said, "Now let's look for the positives. We're looking for a rebound in crude oil, rebound in base metal prices, and uh, the stock market. Some relaxation in credit spreads, that sort of thing." And uh, away it went. So, the a uh, target would be spring, maybe into April, but definitely through March. And 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 indeed, this is what we got. So. Well, the stock market eventually reached... uh, We have some tools we use that are proprietary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ross has this upside exhaustion model, Mm -hmm. and it covers uh, maybe a couple of thousand of the important stocks in Canada and the U.S., and it was starting to generate upside exhaustions on these things, and the the number of them was growing very quickly that you only see at at previous tops of markets. So... You had that warning. We also worked up the presidential model whereby in the midterm, the second year from late spring, like say around June or so, you can then have an important decline in the stock market into later in the year. Uh, then we noticed that the leaders at the bottom were uh, China and Brazil markets. They set their lows late in 2008. Mm-hmm. And were uh, and didn't take down new lows in in March when the U.S. market did. So that provided positive divergence on the upside. Mm-hmm. So these two leading ones, they had their highs many weeks ago, and then in declining against the new highs in New York, were providing negative divergence. Mm-hmm. So we had that one. So every all the stuff we were looking for worked out and generated enough um, signals to say that it was overdone. You had. Sentiment figures very high. You had positive comments coming out of the media, like uh, Goldilocks was back, uh, S&P 500 earnings are fabulous, all that sort of stuff. And then, um, so that it was ready, and in both time and momentum, we had that. The NASDAQ generated the highest RSI on weekly and daily basis since the top of the market in 2000s, mm-hmm. So wow. then you say, now what does it take to roll it over? And with us, we say that the first week with a lower low is a good sign, and it's even better when it's accompanied by a lower high than the week before, which mm-hmm. we got as of yesterday, mm-hmm. even before the exceptional trade came in that drove it down uh, you know, another 500 points.
7: Mm-hmm.
11: So, so that it- conclude Let's conclude that the top is in for this rebound rally, and then we would be looking for a, a significant leg down in the stock market down until late in the year. Uh, we haven't yet got the numbers on, uh, on targets as to how far down, but I think it's going to be a long ways down.
4: Well, your exhaustion model then was sort of like in April, tipping you off, or, or when? Yeah. Um, and well what it was
11: was the was the accumulation the growing number of individual stocks that were giving upside exhaustions
7: mm-hmm.
11: and they were just rocketing up so it some you know it was a part, a big participation in the market now, because like the index we follow s and p there 's a number of stocks in there it doesn 't really give upside exhaustions, but when you get a large number of stocks individually giving them that's that's the big sign so and sort
4: of the momentum is being lost yeah. it's sort of an inflection point for the market perhaps
11: yeah so you get the accumulation of these then you then you look for other things like uh, oftentimes you can have a pretty good rally going from late april into early may then oftentimes in in may you can have credit spread narrowing into May and then beginning to widen, but with the other things we were looking at was the money market, whereby credit spreads, which had narrowed until about six weeks ago, like the TED spread, then started to widen and then it it widened quite a bit. You had the LIBOR uh, three-month LIBOR rate, which had come down to in February 252.25.2 25.2 basis points, and then it uh, it started to turn up. So those were Warnings for us. The other one was the, our old friend, the gold silver ratio, which historically has been a very good guide as to whether you're about to go into party time or you're about to go into hangover time. <laughs> and uh, and the, the gold silver ratio goes down in the party time, and then when it turns up, so it had come down to 62 recently. It gave an RSI that said that's about as low as it was going to go. Then it spent a week chugging around, and for us, going through 65 would signal that the bad times were about to return. And it was it was at 65 on Tuesday. So okay. Then Tuesday. also our real price, uh, gold price, it had its low a couple of weeks ago, and uh, as it turns up, it then signals. The uh, the fact that the party is about to become over. So
2: we had a number
11: of indicators that have been reliable under circum- similar circumstances in the past. And then opposite these things go the other way. You know, um, as I said back in February, a year ago, the the goal, our uh, gold divided by commodity index when it started down, it gave the lead on the stock market rebound by two weeks. Or so. Okay. Well, that's I don't care t- which way it goes, as long as it goes when it, when it wants to. So.
4: Okay, that's the timing, Bob. You, you've given us yeah. some, some reasons to believe the top is in in this uh, cyclical move in, within a secular bear. But let me ask you about the severity of it. I'm going to just read you a couple of quotes. Uh, Arch Crawford, in his most recent newsletter, May 3rd, said uh, he started it out by saying, we have just now entered our time band for the next probable crash. And then, of yeah. course, on May 6th, we saw the, the huge decline of nearly 1,000 points in a matter of minutes. At the same time, the political and financial situation in Greece, of course, is deteriorating at an accelerating pace, causing markets to realize that the situation just cannot, most likely cannot be fixed, quote-unquote. Jesper Gunenwegen, he's been on this show a few times. Um, uh, he, he's he's uh, talking about Greece. He just wrote a, blo- a piece on his uh, blog, Greece at the Birth." Uh, at the birth of Western civilization is now the beginning of the end. End of quote. Dr. Robert McHugh, who's been on this show, he's a technical analyst. Uh, he says uh, a, a cataclysmic nation-changing event he's looking for is the possibility of a decline. The next C wave down is an Elliott Wave practitioner. He believes that we're in for a major decline, as does Bob Prechter, who's talking about some severe numbers, you know, like sub-1,000 on the Dow. So the question as a keen observer of history uh, and its parallels to the present, what is your perspective of the current situation? Do you, do you see the oh, end yeah. of the Ant- we Western in, civilization?
11: We are in the post-bubble contraction. The feature of the big, long boom, almost 100 years of it now, has been increasing authoritarian government and, increase, uh, and fiddling with the market so that you had... Chronic currency depreciation. Now we don't see the end of civilization, perhaps the the begin to return to it, because this intervention has been corrupt and uncivil. Mm-hmm. And in the past, you've only had two earlier examples, where in the third century Rome was corrupted into a police state, and after a hundred years of inflation and authoritarianism. The folks said enough, we're out of here, and took to various ways of dismantling or avoiding a rapacious government. So then the next one was in the 1500s, and it ran for a hundred years, rampant, chronic price inflation, def- yeah, price inflation, currency depreciation, and uh, an ongoing experiment in authoritarian governments, and then. At about 100 years, the folks looked around and said, there's sort of a, a memory built within society where they then look at their political masters and say, enough, mm-hmm. and this is where we are now. So we've had a, let's let's be bolder and call it, we've had a 100 years of hyperinflation in the senior currency mm-hmm. and the senior economy, mm-hmm. and it's coming to an end. So uh, it's this, and it won't be the destruction of civilization. It'll be the restoration of democratic civilization and a huge reduction in the apparatus of the state, which has been a predator upon the economy. So, But unfortunately, it takes a severe contraction to shake the system whereby you get a political movement that, as I say, the irony is incredible, a political movement demanding that the government abide by the Constitution. And also part of that demand will be that the U.S. abide by the constitutional definition of money, which goes back to silver. Mm. So these are very exciting times for the individual, and they'll be disastrous times for all those who have been predators as part of the uh, state authoritarianism, and it doesn't matter whether you call it Marxism, uh, Stalinism, Leninism, or Keynesianism, it's all authoritarian. And and the current administration in the U.S. fits into Mussolini's classic definition of fascism, Mm -hmm. which is a combination of big government and big... A, a big business, yeah. uh, all of course, run by big government, and it's an evil. And though so I, I don't know whether the re, the Democrats have the gumption to change their party symbol from a donkey to a bundle of fascist uh, mm. sticks, <laughs> but uh, honesty would demand that. Yeah. So yes, this is Obama is heading up and leading a, a, a an unbelievable move to corporatism, right. but it's an ending move. It's like a big spike up in a commodity or in a stock market. It's an ending move. And so he is taking intrusive government to the limit at the same time as the public is saying no. So it'll be like, uh, for example, in East Germany where the border guards were there with guns and the East Germans, all they wanted to do was go into into West Berlin or into Hungary to do a little cross-border shopping. And then one day, the border guards laid their rifles down. The dictator of East Germany, Honecker, then had to change the laws that gave him the privilege of murdering Germans as they wanted to go from one part of Germany to another. So that was the change there. And the change in in America will be similar, but without border guards, but you get what I mean. The, the sure. public is just going to say no. And then here's the other thing is from an old one from the Vancouver Stock Exchange, whereby so long as the price is going up, the public will believe the most preposterous stories. Mm-hmm. And then once the price starts down, all of a sudden you get remorse and chagrin. Well, So this is what you've got here. So long as government has been booming and credit been, has been expanding and prosperity is more or less around, the public will believe the most preposterous stories about the fact that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury guys are all there to run and manage the economy. Mm -hmm. So this is where I said earlier. Once this stock market decline now extends, and I really believe it will, mm -hmm. then the people are going to say, look at these guys were supposed to fix everything, and they haven't. So, hey, it's going to be exciting for the individual.
4: Okay, Bob. So, how far is the stock market going to extend? Uh, let's let's oh, go within, the within the next within the next oh, year, the, Bob. The,
11: yeah the March the March lows are easy.
4: They're going to be taken out easily.
11: No, to hit them, to get okay. to the March lows, right. Will be done. Then okay. probably huge rebounds and churning around, and then on to new lows in, a, in an extended bear market.
4: Okay, what's your time perspective on that?
11: Oh, number of years.
4: Number of years before we hit before we take out the March lows to
11: get to get no, I think maybe March lows within a year.
4: Okay, turning
11: around and then new lows uh, after that sometime. But this one can't be pinpointed. You but you know that they're going to be that they will go down and test the old low, and then work around before you get to the new low.
4: So Obama is pushing this thing. He's pushing socialism, fascism, statism, whatever you want to call it, yeah. to the limits, and he's going to almost. Uh, Usher in or uh, hasten the time in which we have this breakdown. Is that
7: your reading yeah.
11: of it? Oh yeah. Okay. Now say if, if McCain had a one, mm-hmm. the direction of government would have been the same,
7: mm-hmm.
11: and but the slower. folks would be like the frogs in a pot of, of warming water. You don't.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. So, but so in it's some the, ways, almost. So in some ways, almost more dangerous to have a more moderate, um, you know, headed yeah, in the same they, they direction. Yeah, it could have been
11: prolonged. Yeah, it could have been right. long forever.
4: Right, with a good so Republican. Speak.
11: But then mm-hmm. Obama's ambition has been so incredible Aggressive. that he is creating his own demise.
4: Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you and Bob Prechter both have a view of the strong dollar here, uh, uh, Bob. I think, you know, in as you've noted, the Reserve currency or the 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 leading currency senior. in these declines usually the senior currency usually gets stronger vis a vis other currencies. Bob Prechter agrees with you on that. He's a yeah. deflationist, but Bob thinks that that paper will be stronger than gold. I take it you do not be believe that. You believe gold yeah. will, well, will be a better I place to use
11: money. Yeah, Jay is that in a post bubble contraction the senior currency eventually becomes uh chronically strong against most other currencies and most commodities for most of the time. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're getting.
7: Mm-hmm.
11: And uh it and then I think at some point as part of this individual reasserting themselves against the corruption of uh of uh, of uh, intrusive government is they're going to demand a gold standard.
4: Yeah. So
11: all, right. all the whole all of the apparatus of government intrusion will be examined, and that w- which works will be kept, and that which doesn't will be reduced or bypassed or abandoned. And the same thing happened, in beginning in the early 1600s of, you know, alchemy, mm-hmm. the experiment by government, and it was mainly governments that paid for alchemists to get money out of lead uh... that eventually became chemistry astrology was also used by the state to back up their decision making and then astrology eventually became astronomy and uh... so it is going to be intellectually very refreshing <laughs> financially unless you're uh... position that's going to be uh... disastrous and that's the problem It's belt tightening by the individual that forces belt tightening upon uh all levels of government and it'll happen and it'll it'll be ugly. Look at how ugly it has been in in Greece, for in example, Greece where yeah. I understand that half the people work for the government. But then if you recall the fascinating movie Zorba the Greek, where Anthony Quinn plays, and one of his lines is that it was the full catastrophe. Uh it's not amusing, but Greece And other countries that have been spendthrift will also suffer the full catastrophe. And at some point, the uh, savings uh, ability of the Germans, for example, they will say no more bailouts to these uh, spendthrift countries.
4: Okay, Bob, we only have a
11: couple more. We've only seen the last bailout, hmm?
4: We've only got a couple of minutes left here, Bob, and yeah. I've got to get a little bit more into the gold, the subject of gold. Sure. You've noted, you know, that the real price, the real price of gold, goes up during these def- during these credit implosions that we're yeah. undergoing now, and we've seen this as you pointed out. And you know, I, I also look at a measure of gold relative to the Rogers Raw Material Fund, which is telling me the same thing, basically. Uh, yeah. but here's the question for you. Uh, how long do, do you think that we've seen the peak in terms of the real price of gold or does the real price of gold have a lot further to run? That's the first question. The second question is, uh, then how much, uh, how much further or how long can this thing run? How long can the real price of gold remain high
8: yeah.
4: and thereby improving, improve gold mining profits?
11: Yep. Well, again, It's best not to rely upon imagination, but to look at history. Mm -hmm. And uh, following each of the five previous uh, great bubbles, the real price of gold, which set an important low as the bubble completed, it was typically 20 years of of, uh, favorable real prices of gold rising with a business cycle, the, the usual four year business cycle prevails, and then you have business cycle swings where then you get a rebound like we've had recently in uh, the orthodox investments, and then the real price of gold went down until two weeks ago, and then not uh, starting up. Now, I'll give you an idea how far this thing has gone.
7: Mm-hmm.
11: On the middle of April, the low was 313 on our gold divided by our commodity index,
7: mm-hmm.
11: and um, last Thursday it was 332. Two, this this Tuesday three three seven, Wednesday three five six, Thursday three seventy seven. Wow 3, 5, three thirteen. That's big time. Within a so couple what of this, weeks. Ha- yeah, but what happens? And I think it the way this works is that in a in a financial mania, credit expands inordinately, and also they invent all kinds of new credit instruments. And believe it or not, they did that in seventeen twenty, South Sea bubble as well. And then that has to contract. So as it contracts, the real price of gold goes up, mine production increases, and that increased gold goes into the banking system, the global banking system, and that is the only form of liquidity that can restore the health of the global economy. And uh, it goes on for years. It takes decades to uh, really unwind all the excesses of a financial bubble, and then it uh, and it takes a number of decades to get enough increase in gold production to really get the wheels of business going again. So if you look at it dispassionately over the last 300 years, and you see how this works so regularly, uh, it, you're impressed by the forces of the market, and gold is, the, is a very complete, uh, uh, important hinge in the old thing. And, of course, what these... Uh, interventionists have been doing, is that they have had the audacity to say that, oh, we can do what gold has done for all these uh, decades, only except they don't know what gold does. Mm-hmm. But they've invented theories based on no empiricism whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And this is why the world has become so fascinating in the financial markets. This, oh. You haven't had a 100 years of wild games like this since the 1500s.
4: And so people have lost perspective, the bigger perspective, the 300-year yeah. perspective that you're yeah. talking about. Now Bob, we're yeah. just about we're just about out of time here. I've got to ask you then, does this mean we're going to see some really good times for gold mining industries, for the gold mining industry going forward? That's my first question. Secondly then, are we uh, do you favor senior mining companies or junior mining companies at this point in time?
11: Oh, this, this over the last couple of years there's been some good discoveries on the exploration side and if you're in the play it's great now for this beginning at the start of this year we figured that the play and exploration juniors would expand like more individual stocks within the game acting well and then more and more people investing and trading in junior stocks so there's no question in my mind that the junior sector will way outperform the senior stocks because the senior stocks are mainly held by institutions, mm-hmm. and they have the same liquidity problems as everybody else does, is that when the big stock goes down, they then will be selling gold stocks, senior gold stocks, with the the big New York Stock Exchange stocks. So thereby, this is where you want to be in the junior golds. Just think of what the small-cap tech stocks were like in 1994 96. And right. we went up to the huge mania. So but the huge mania for the juniors is, who knows, a couple of years ahead of us.
4: Okay, so are you saying now at this point in time, Bob, with the liquidity problems that are all around us, that the seniors are actually more risky, in a sense, than the juniors? Oh, for sure. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. No,
11: what you want to do is on each gold rally, lighten up, sell the seniors, mm-hmm. and then lay, uh, and lay back and wait for the correction and buy the juniors. And then you've got these ETFs that you can buy in toronto and in mm-hmm. new york so mm-hmm. you can get some uh you know some nice exposure in the game
4: well that's just unfortunately we're out of time bob there's never enough time with you before i say goodbye to you though i want to uh, mention that you uh to our listeners that you will be speaking uh at the cmre dinner in new york to be held at the union league club in 37th street that's on May 20th, and you're going to be there with a, a number of other very, very interesting people like James Grant and David Walker, a former controller of the currency. So I just want our listeners to know that, and actually there is a number that they can, that you folks out there can call if you're interested in attending this wonderful dinner uh, dinner meeting, and I, I go to these all the time. There's one in the spring and one in the fall, so the spring one is coming up again, as I said, on May 20th. And the number that you should call for the CMRE is uh, 704-598-3717. That's 704-598-3717. It's a very, very interesting time. A lot of great speakers. You get get to meet a lot of interesting people. I'll be there. Bob Hoy will be there. As I said, James Grant, David Walker, and a host of other great speakers will be there. Bob, I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us. Again, there's, as I say, never enough time uh... but that's all we have for the day so folks don't go away we're going to be right back after the break with canico resources we're speaking of junior companies and how bob thinks juniors are the place to be canico resources might be one you want to take a look at so don't go away we'll be right back with Canico resources
1: Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now toll free eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.bysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of pipe. River. With gold prices near an all time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver
9: Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojian gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more.
5: Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue Exploring the system which is open at depth.
9: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from two hundred and fifty dollars to well over twelve hundred dollars since two thousand two. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors, but mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the
2: human race. Some kind of love rock. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride.
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, you just heard Bob Hoy tell you why he believes that gold stocks are the buy of a lifetime. Bob is especially bullish on junior gold mining stocks, believe it or not even though, even more than the senior gold stocks. He explained why those of you who heard the uh, Bob's remarks will understand. But with that in mind, I'm happy to tell you we have a junior gold exploration company with us now. I'm talking about Canico Resources, Inc., traded on the Toronto Venture Exchange. CAN is the symbol, 117.5 million shares outstanding. It closed recently at $0.60 cents per share. And representing Canico, and with me is Andrew Lee Smith. He's the president CEO of Canico. He is a geologist with considerable industry experience. Thank you, Andrew, for g- coming on Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. Uh, I'm glad to be here, Jay. Well, I understand that Kanako's main focus is on Tanzania. Uh, do you have a flagship property there that you could just tell our listeners about briefly? We do. Uh, the Hendeni project in uh,
12: central Tanzania has been uh, the focus of our exploration over the past two years and really the focus of a successful drill pr- program since September of 2009.
4: Um, Okay. Project, uh I'm sorry.
12: The project itself is uh, about two hundred square kilometers and hosts within it uh an eleven kilometer gold trend that we're just beginning to explore.
4: All right. So you've had some exciting results. You've made a discovery there. Uh I understand there's five targets that you have, five target projects, uh properties I should say, at this point in time. And you've you've hit on one of them. Uh could you tell us just a little bit, give us a sense of what the grades are, what the dimensions are of what you're shooting at and and the depth and strike length, etc. Yes, uh,
12: the, the Magambazi project sits on the southern end of the eleven-kilometer gold trend that we've identified through basic, uh, fundamental exploration work over the last uh, two years. The drill program started in two thousand and nine in September, and uh, the discovery hole was hole number one, which we announced in October uh, um, of last year. Of uh, and the um, intercept that uh, in hole one that through a lot of market attention at that time, was uh, 59 meters of uh, 4.32 grams per ton. and That's uh, considered by many people who have looked at it as as a a very significant um, drill hole intercept. Since that time, we've continued to drill with with one rig, and we now have completed 45 holes on uh, two separate areas of that one-kilometer trend, and have had very similar results and even better results than that with our uh, our best hole being uh, the twelfth hole that we drilled on the project was 56 meters of uh, 6.8 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're, we believe that we're confirming the presence of a world-class uh, gold uh, pro- uh, project in Tanzania.
4: Well, Andrew, these uh, this mineralization, as I understand it, is right on surface. It starts at surface and goes down. How deep?
12: Uh, we've drilled it to a depth of about 250 meters and. Um, I'm afraid we can't take complete credit for the discovery in that uh, we have uh, been um, uh, the the project and, and the mineralization was originally identified by artisanal miners back in two thousand and three, uh, and we've been working with them and indeed uh, part of our project has been acquired from uh, the local uh, miners and uh, representatives of the local villages, and we've been working closely with them. Uh, through the exploration program, uh, but uh, their efforts identified the original gold mineralization on surface and they actually had developed a small bedrock mining operation on top of Magambazi Hill that uh, really was the focus of the initial exploration drilling with hole one uh, confirming that the uh, geology that they were mining at the top of the hill had uh, continued to depths of around 250 meters and Mm. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, surface outcroppings have been identified over a 1.4-kilometer strike length
4: mm-hmm.
12: at uh, Magambazi.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, we've got the 1.4-kilometer uh, strike length uh, on this one property within one a larger area that has five targets. You told us that it goes to a, that you've drilled down to 200 or 250 meters. I think you said. Yeah. What about? Do you know anything about the width of this structure? Uh, yes. Well, the uh, the 59
12: uh, meter width that we've encountered, we've we've seen that fairly consistently in uh, in uh, other holes. But uh, the zone itself uh, ranges anywhere from about four meters wide up to about 60 meters wide uh, across the strike length of uh, one kilometer that we've drilled so far. Um, the as you mentioned previously, Jay, there's uh, four other prospects that uh, have been identified along this 11 kilometer trend. Where the geology outcrops and uh, has uh, gold mineralization on it, we see uh, similar sorts of widths uh, in uh, the 10 to 20 meter uh, wide range on these other prospects as well. So um, we really have a, a, a dual approach to our exploration going forward, uh, intensifying the the diamond drilling of the uh, discovery that's been made last fall, but also uh, a more um, um, grassroots approach, if you could say that to these other prospects to begin to work up drill targets that we'll also be exploring uh, later in this year.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, it's really, I mean, experienced people, that people that are experienced in investing in, in junior exploration stocks will realize the dimensions of this, Andrew, uh, and the grades are quite promising. It, it has the potential, it would seem, uh, to host a world-class deposit. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just looking at sort of in the back of my mind here as I look at the dimensions and the grades. It looks like you could build up quite a few ounces. Now, you have a lot of drilling to do before you can talk about a resource, a 43-101 resource. And I guess with all, those, uh, all that drilling that you've done, I guess we're going to have a constant flow of assays coming out and being announced uh, from your company going forward here? Uh,
12: yes. You know, we think that uh, the system that we've identified uh, over this 11 kilometer trend is, uh, is one of these big uh, Tanzanian gold mineralizing systems like Gata and Boolean Hulu, these uh, multi-million ounce uh, um, deposits. So we're, we're quite excited about what's going on and what we've been able to accomplish so far. But uh, the exploration will be accelerating. We have one drill um, that's been uh, on the project and, and active since September. Uh, we are in the middle of the rainy season at the moment, uh, a season that will come to an end uh, in early June. And uh, once the rains stop, we'll be accelerating the expiration, uh, bringing in two or three additional drill rigs, and essentially be in, uh, in, uh, uh, very active on the, on the drilling front between June and November of this year
4: how uh so how much drilling do you plan to do going forward what is in and what how much are you planning to spend that's another question and thirdly if you could tell us how much money do you have in your till now are you going to have to go back and raise more capital anytime soon well the uh, um, the program is just being revised now based on some of the
12: most recent results we've uh, we've uh, announced uh, including uh, results last week that we think uh, very significantly increase the potential of the Magambazi hill itself uh the The proposed budget is about $4.2 million worth of uh, expiration. 80% of that being directly uh, related to diamond drilling costs. Uh, uh, In terms of uh, the number of meters, uh, we're looking at probably in the area of 20,000 meters of uh, diamond drilling that's been planned. Uh, We hope to get that all done this year. Uh, We're also going to be using an approach with a reverse circulation drilling. And a specialized technique called RAB drilling, as well, which is particularly applicable in these kind of African terrains. So, uh, we'll be uh, drilling on many fronts uh, um, throughout uh, the year.
4: Does the management have a big stake? Um, a lot? Of, does the management own a good portion of the of the company's equity? Uh, we do about 50% of the company. A little less,
12: 45% is controlled by insiders. Uh, that would include um, a 33% stake that's held by uh, a private Chinese exploration company called Sinotech, which mm-hmm. they acquired in uh, April of this past year.
4: What do you think uh, represents the biggest risk for your company? The, uh, I think with
12: respect to uh, the project itself uh, and having that value realized, Uh, for our shareholders, uh, there is a a risk, a project risk, in that we are working in an area that has not seen any exploration or mining activity historically in the past. And uh, what happens uh, as a result of that is there's not any mining-specific infrastructure in this region of Tanzania. So it sort of raises the bar with respect to uh, what is required in order to overcome the economic hurdles that uh, we'll make this a commercial operation, but we really believe that the results have shown over the past six months that uh, we are dealing with a, a, a deposit um, an, with, that has the the magnitude that would allow us to uh, develop infrastructure around it. Should we continue to advance it over the next uh, 18 months?
4: Well, it certainly seems that that has that you have the potential there, given the dimensions and the grades that you're talking about with infill drilling, constant drill drill information coming out I guess the market will be able to make a decision and, and judge that as, as that information becomes more, uh, more prevalent. So people can keep up with your story. What's your website? Uh, it's uh,
12: canico.ca and uh, we have a lot of information on, on there including ways to contact myself and uh, other uh, members of management of the company and we'd be delighted to speak to any of your listeners uh, uh, who had any further questions
4: fantastic, Andrew. I'm, I wished we could go on. We're really out of time right now. There's several more questions I have for you, but we'll have to have you back. Maybe after you keep putting out drill results, we'll have you back to, to update our listeners sometime in the near future. Well, that's all the time we have now uh, with Andrew, uh, but I do want to say next week, our special guest is Daniel Estulin. He is the author of a, a book on the Bilderberg Group. If you are interested in knowing who really owns and runs the world and who owns and runs your life behind the scenes, you'll not want to miss this next show with uh, Daniel Estudon, and that's next Tuesday. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, Ruben Colombe, operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible, and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
3: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now
2: the thing about times, the time is that time isn't really real, it's just your point of view. How does it feel for you?